This is the Art of Composing podcast with John Branningham, episode number seven, Creativity and Music Composition. Welcome to the Art of Composing podcast with me, John Brantingham, where you can learn to compose music. Welcome to another episode of the Art of Composing podcast. Art of Composing is dedicated to unraveling the mysteries of musical composition and then teaching them in ways that allow you to become the composer that you want to be. In this episode, we're going to learn all about the process of creativity. What is it? why is it important to be creative, and what you can do to improve your creativity. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to announce the upcoming launch of my new Art of Composing Academy. The Art of Composing Academy is currently in the final stages of being tested and goes live this Saturday, October 4th, 2014. If you're listening to this and it's past that date, head on over to academy.artofcomposing.com. That's academy.artofcomposing.com and check it out. The inaugural course is a brand new Music Composition 101 course featuring eight hours of video lessons on the fundamentals of music composition. If you've taken my free beginners course but felt you wanted more or you just want to ground yourself with a solid foundation in composing, this is the course for you. Now Music Composition 101 is different. It's a different course from my original free beginners course. Uh, That will always be free, and I highly recommend going through it if you are interested in composing. You can find it at artofcomposing.com slash free. Just enter your name and email address, and then after signing up, you'll get an email asking for a confirmation that you signed up, and once you confirm, you'll get the link to the course. Now, the new academy is something slightly different. It's for those people that are wanting to take their composing to the next level. Now, some of the topics covered in this Music Composition 101 course are composing melodies, creating chord progressions, musical form, four-part harmonic writing, modulation, creating rhythmic variety. There's a little music history in there. And then I finish it off with a capstone project in which I walk you through the process of composing complete classical pieces. So, but this is only the beginning. The next course that's in the pipeline is the Music Composition 200 series, in which I'll take you through all of the required techniques to create a full piano sonata. Now, this means we cover things like chromatic harmony, advanced modulation, counterpoint, longer forms like sonata form, minuet trio, sonata without development, and so on. We will also analyze a complete piano sonata, moving step-by-step through the process of creating themes, transitions, and developments until we finish the sonata. So if you're interested, go check it out at academy.artofcomposing.com. Let's get on with the featured content. Creativity is a word that is thrown around in artistic circles, and many people, including composers, strive to be seen as creative people. But I would venture to say that if you ask most people, they wouldn't have a good definition of what creativity is. So that's where we'll start, with a definition. Now, I've read through quite a few definitions of creativity, and I think defining it can be a problem. But in the grand scheme of things, it's important to at least start with some common ground. So here we go. Creativity is the act of making something new that has value. Now, there's many definitions that also add the word novel into the mix, uh, in that whatever you create should have an aspect of being novel or original or uncreated by anyone else. 
But for someone learning to compose or learning any new artistic endeavor, I think this can pose a problem as it will hamper you from learning lessons from the past. Trying to be novel without a thorough understanding of the past usually leads to composing a piece that's kind of trite. So let's dig a little deeper into defining creativity. First off, creativity is an act. Now, To me, this means in order to be creative, you have to actually do something. Conception of an idea is great, but unless you can actually realize that idea, then it's not really worth that much. Now, this depends on the field you're working in. Obviously, if your field is philosophy, then the things that you create are basically ideas. But the product that is created is usually a written text. It doesn't help to have an idea and then keep it to yourself. I mean, how would anyone else ever know that you were creative? And if you're a composer, on the other hand, you need to actually create music. I can't just walk around saying, oh, I have this idea for a piece that's mind-blowing. I mean, when you hear it, your mind will be blown. There are things like crazy motives and luscious harmony and epoch-making orchestration. It's good. Man, I'm creative. Well, if I did that, people wouldn't call me creative. They would just call me crazy. So you have to create in order to be creative. Next, what we create must be new. Now, I think this goes without saying, if you just copy another work, it's not really creative. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't use ideas from other works or build off of them. Standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say, is part of being human. We work from the place that we are in history. And you have, as a general right, the ability to build on the ideas of others. Now, you can obviously build on your own ideas as well. And then new is not the same as novel. New is defined as not existing before, whereas novel is defined as new and not resembling something formerly known or used. So certainly novelty is very important for the advancement of art, but it is not necessarily required for a work to be creative. Now the next part of the definition is a little more subjective, but I think it's important. It's that it has value. Now this, of course, is going to be subjective. More than likely, anything I compose will have some sort of value to me. Now, it may not have any value to anyone else, but overall, works that are viewed as creative tend to have value to other people beyond the creator. So creativity is the act of making something new that has value. Now, a definition, while important for discussing topics, is not really useful for enhancing creativity. To do that, we're going to discuss the two types of artists, the experimenter and the conceptualizer. After that, we'll look at a relatively simple six-stage process of creativity. And I know that seems counterintuitive to have a process of creativity, but the process is less about the creation of new and valuable works as it is about identifying what problems you want to solve in your creative endeavors. So first, the two types of artists. Hopefully, as an artist, you are taking the time to reflect on who you are, your goals, your ways of working, and your creative output. Reflection is one of the main ways that we grow as artists and as people. But reflection can also be somewhat fruitless when we don't have a good mental framework to judge ourselves. And as an artist, there are two main frameworks from which you can judge how you work and your artistic goals. These are the experimenter and the conceptualizer. Now, the experimenter and the conceptualizer differ in several ways, including artistic goals, self-evaluation, stylistic development, and their process of creation. So let's look at each one in depth. 
The experimenter is someone whose general goal is to create works that build off of previous accomplishments, and they do this through the process of incremental experimentation. Now, often their goals are imprecise. Their careers are dominated by the pursuit of a single objective, and they repeat themselves, usually with, the, with creative works that are similar, but generally change the way ideas are treated. Experimenters tend to view learning from, from their work more important than the finished product and rarely set off with a plan or a sketch. And oftentimes, the aim is to discover what the work is while creating the work. Now, they also tend to be perfectionists, finding dissatisfaction in the smallest mistakes and details. A great example of an experimenter is Joseph Haydn. Haydn wrote 104 symphonies. And this kind of output led to gradual changes and improvements of skill, technique, and the occasional novelty. Haydn is known for having little musical jokes in his compositions, playing the ideas that, or playing with ideas that other people would be familiar with in ways that would elicit often unnoticed responses. Now, obviously, Haydn was employed for most of his career by the Esterhazy family, and in his job description, it would be required to compose certain kinds of works for certain events, so he was restricted to composing stuff that the Esterhazy family would want to hear. This means that the experimentalism had to be on a level that it wouldn't be caught. Now, compare this to the conceptualizer. The conceptualizer tends to be motivated by a desire to communicate specific ideas. This means they have clear goals that can be stated precisely before they start creating. Now, this is often accompanied, accompanied by detailed plans and sketches and a systematic way of executing that plan. Because their goal is often a conceptual innovation instead of gradual experimental improvement, their creative breakthroughs tend to appear suddenly as a new creative idea will have a vastly different effect in the way a composition will be created. Now, oftentimes, they tend to be more satisfied with their compositions because they have a much clearer measuring stick, their initial conceptual innovation. The careers of conceptual innovators are often marked with extremely novel singular works that appear to come from nowhere. A great example of this is Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. Now, the right is considered a seminal work of the 20th century, and I guarantee the more you listen to it, the better it gets. But what is different about the right from other kinds of works is that it appeared to come from nowhere. Now, in reality, this is not completely true. While Stravinsky is quoted with saying there was no theory behind the right of spring, and he just heard it in his mind and wrote it, there are trends that happen in the decades leading up to it that are visible in the right, and uh, no doubt Stravinsky heard these things and absorbed them through osmosis. But what really makes it a watershed moment is Stravinsky is the first person to put all of these trends together in a way that's natural. And he does this through deep conceptualization happening on a subconscious level. So considering these two types of artists, I think it's important to identify where you lie on the spectrum. I, I don't think anyone is completely one or the other, and they both have major benefits to, to be able to apply their concepts to your own creativity and your own work. So first, let's look at your process of composing. You may be tempted to start with your goals as, as an artist, but your stated goals and your actual goals in practice may be different. And I find the way you work says more about your goals than what you actually say your goals are. So ask yourself these questions. 
Do you plan your compositions beforehand, or do you just start writing or playing on your instrument? Do you make sketches? When do you make your most important compositional decisions? Do you have clear compositional goals when you sit down to compose? Do you have a clear idea of what the finished composition will be like? When do you stop composing or decide a work is complete? So let's look at how these two artists may answer these questions differently. Do you plan your compositions beforehand or do you just start writing or playing on your instrument? Do you make sketches? Well, planning and sketching is the realm of the conceptualizer. And part of the definition of a conceptualizer is they work out a detailed conception of their music beforehand. They are trying to solve a specific problem that is conceptually new. Now contrast that with the exper experimenter who tends to dive in head first. For them, planning is unimportant. Now personally, I'm kind of a mix. Sometimes I do like to plan, especially when it's a composition where I'm specifically trying to learn something like sonata form or any kind of other musical form or any technique. It does help to plan things out. But a lot of times when I sit down to compose, I will just go in head first. And that's just kind of the way I like to work. So when do you make your most important compositional decisions? If you sit down and start noodling until something feels right, maybe the key of the piece or a short melodic idea or an accompaniment, then you're probably leaning towards experimenter. The experimenter makes their most important composi uh, compositional decisions while actually composing. Now compare this with the conceptualizer who is making decisions about form and key, instrumentation, style, and so on long before putting pen to paper or finger to key. Do you have clear compositional goals when you sit down to compose? Now, Compositional goals may be as simple as composing a new piece or as complex as composing a new symphonic movement using bitonality and quartal harmonies while maintaining continuity with melodic ideas. Or it could even be the desire to create a certain kind of emotion. What kind of compositional goals and how clear they are will say a lot about your artistic type. Experimenters tend to have fuzzy goals, while conceptualizers tend to have very clear goals. Do you have a clear idea of what the finished composition will be like? Now, once again, the conceptualizer will have an idea of what the finished composition will be like. And this may not be in musical terms. It could be a diagram or a shape or a picture in their mind, but there is an idea nonetheless. The, the experimenter will often develop the idea of what the piece is going to be while writing the piece. Now, more often uh, tends to go into the development of ideas versus the creation of new ideas, which tends to be the goal of the conceptualizer. When do you stop composing or decide a work is complete? Experimenters tend to be perfectionists and will go back to their compositions sometimes even years after they originally completed them just to make a few changes. Conceptualizers, on the other hand, because they have clearer goals, are usually more satisfied to say when a work is completed. Now, I think a lack of understanding of the duality of the types of artists, the experimenter and the conceptualizer, is one of the reasons you see a lot of conflicting advice in the world of composition. Composers often say they should do one thing and then actually do something entirely different. But if you take into account the different types of working methods, ideas about creativity, and goals of composition, the advice falls into place in a more useful way. Now, regardless of the kind of artist you are, it is important to reflect on your own creativity. 
And a great way to do this is from the book Musical Creativity by Guerina Mazzola, Jumi Part, and Florian Thelman. And I apologize if I said those names wrong. <laughs> Their approach is a six-step process with the goal of finding the limits of creative space that we want to explore. So the process is as follows. It's, it's six questions, and they are, one, exhibiting the open question, two, identifying the semiotic context, three, finding the question's critical sign or concept in that semiotic concept, uh, context, four, identifying the concept's walls, five, opening the walls and displaying its new perspective, and then six, evaluating the extended walls. So instead of just explaining these questions, I thought it would be helpful if I would actually go through them on the podcast. Now, um, just a little caveat here. I'm not going to promise that I, I have any major breakthroughs for you. I found this process was pretty eye-opening for me when I did it. Um, but, you know, my answers may, may be kind of unsatisfying to you. But that makes sense because we're going to all have different creative goals. So in the book, Mazzola explains that creativity is, is not the limitless extension of chaos or the destruction of limits, but it builds upon past experience and tries to extend that experience in new ways. So to start off, we have to exhibit the open question. Now, in the book, as a guided exercise, he asks us to explain in our own words the musical style in which we would like to compose. Now, it doesn't have to be precise, but it is important that you actively choose or even create this style. Um, now, I do want to say that this open question is just one of many open questions. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to, this is the only open question. The, the point is you're, you're starting with a question. And he says, uh, as an example, to start with, what kind of musical style do you want to compose in? So just thinking back to the experimenter versus the conceptualizer, they would probably go about answering this question in different ways. Personally, I believe I'm more of an experimenter, and the kind of music I want to compose is a mix between the clear formality of classical music and kind of the emotional roller coasters of romantic and the tonal uncertainty of early 20th century, kind of in the styles of Ravel and Bartok. I love the clarity you get from Mozart and Beethoven and how that was taken up by Mendelssohn. And, you know, Bach seems to be an important aspect in all their works as well. So I just kind of love that earlier classical and Baroque music. But I also love the highs and the lows that you get with romantic composers, especially Mahler. And then you got guys like Ravel, who seem to be going down the path that I kind of want to go. Um, and, and, you know, guys like Bartok who also seem to be expanding the realm of tonal music and not just abandon, abandoning it like Schoenberg and many others in the 20th century. So once you've kind of uh, exhibited your open question and in this case identified the style that you want to compose in, next he says uh, you want to identify the semiotic context. Now you may not be fam familiar with semiotics, but it's the study of signs and how those signs make meaning. So, for instance, the term artist means something different to us now in the 21st century than it did in the 16th century. And the meaning of your music also changes throughout your own lifetime. And so we need to identify the context in which uh, the music that we are composing has a meaning. 
So after asking us to define a style, uh, he asked us if we would like to, um, you know, explain our our music and explain our emotional, social, artistic, and economic reasons for wanting to compose. So emotionally, I want to create music that stirs my soul, just like I have my, my soul stirred when I listen to the Andante of Mahler's Sixth Symphony. You know, I want to create moments in music like, like near the end of the first movement of Mendelssohn's String Octet that'll give me chills, but seem to only happen in fleeting moments. Socially, I think I want there to be a return on two levels. First, the popular level. I want the general public to fall in love with music that's deeper than most of what they listen to right now. You know, I feel like there is so much more to experience. If you take the time to learn about how music works and what you should uh, should be listening for, but I also want the academic world to fully accept tonality again, although I'm not quite sure of the current feeling towards it as I'm not really part of the academic world. You know, I'm not a teacher in a school or anything like that. Now, artistically, I want to explore tonality and form. I think I have a drive to connect traditional styles with modern styles, and I feel like there hasn't been a very good connection bringing things like, for instance, guitars into the classical tradition or beyond that, synthesizers and drums and samples. You know, they're all instruments in their own right, and I think we need to treat them differently than, say, we would a violin. Now, I also think there are kernels of ideas within experimental music and minimalism and sound mass and any other recent styles that have yet to be fully synthesized into a greater whole and complete style. These are just my ideas. I, you know, I don't know if anybody else has these ideas. And then finally, economically, I want to obviously get paid for my music, and I would like to compose for films. And I've so far, I've done two short films, and I really enjoyed it. But I also want to be the best possible composer that I can be regardless, so I can excel in any endeavor I choose. But ultimately, I have to make money. I have a family. I have to eat. Um, so so those are kind of the the context, the semiotic context for which I compose in. So next, finding the open questions, critical sign or concept within that semiotic context. So it's kind of a tricky, uh, tricky question. But here what we're trying to do is find out what is the critical thing about the open question that can actually propel us towards a creative breakthrough. Now to get to this, I want to take a step back and ask, why should you be motiv motivated to create new, unheard musical works in the first place? Well, there are several reasons why I should be motivated to create new, unheard musical works. First, I believe there's an infinite variety of what music can be. It's like we're getting a chance to really mine for, for music from the mind of God. But you have to work really hard to get at it. And part of that is creating new musical works to try to mine out those little gems. Second, I believe I do have a unique voice uh, when it comes to my music. But that unique voice is limited by my own technical abilities. And I haven't listened nearly enough to different styles of composers and you know genres of music. And I need to systematically listen to as many different composers and styles as possible. But for every new work I create, I build up my own personal well of contributions to the world and to society. 
So kind of in a roundabout way, the answer to the previous question about the semiotic context is obviously the society that I live in is the semiotic context, um, and then obviously the context of earning a living and becoming a film composer and teaching others to compose as well. The things I learn benefit other composers. And then the critical sign or concepts are new and create. Now, the solution against this apparent, apparent impenetrability of creating something new and not just novel, but creating something new with meaning that's unique, is to become aware of what it means to create a composition that is valuable to others. Now, it's more than just combining the elements of music to create a composition, as I talked about in episode one of this podcast. That's certainly part of it, but more importantly, it's about the meaning that is added to those elements. Music has meaning only within a given semiotic context. Your meaning, your society, your thoughts and feelings and so on. Think about E equals MC squared. It's just a few letters, but there is meaning there given the context of what we know in modern society. So when you're creating, you're not just creating randomness, you're creating something, you're assembling meaningful elements uh, within the semiotic context. Now after this, we open the walls and display the new perspective. So this is obviously a tough thing to do because this is the point at which you're supposed to have a creative breakthrough. But I don't think the point is to have a major creative breakthrough, although that would be great. But it's more important to slowly create new concepts of what it is to be creative and specifically what it means for you to be creative. So after all these questions, I believe that I can feel comfortable Given my context of being a composer and a composition teacher in modern society, I can feel comfortable composing in traditional genres of music with the goal of improving my technique, but also with the goal of teaching others. And because part of my artistic goals is to merge some of the more traditional styles of classical, romantic, and early 20th century music with modern genres, I believe I can identify myself as an experimenter and someone willing to work, work towards a sort of unknown creative goal. I don't quite know where that's going to take me. I know that this last answer may seem to be less fulfilling than, than some of the others, or maybe they were all kind of unfulfilling for you, but the goal of this episode was to introduce the idea that what it means to be creative has to be searched for. And that is probably why there are so many different definitions of creativity. Nobody is really, or too many people are searching and saying this is the definition, when really it comes down to this is my definition. Now, evaluating the extended walls is, is the last part, and it's really about coming back to your answer after a while and evaluating them um, and eventually going through that process again you know, reevaluating until you get clear ideas of what it means for you to be creative. So let's recap what we talked about in this episode. Creativity is the act of making something new that has value. Now, as a creative artist, you fall somewhere in the spectrum between an experimenter and a conceptualizer. The experimenter is someone whose general goal is to create works that build off of previous accomplishments. And they do this through the process of incremental experimentation. Often their goals are imprecise and their careers are dominated by the pursuit of a single objective. And they repeat themselves, usually with creative works that are similar, but gradually change the way ideas are treated. 
the conceptualizer tends to be motivated by a desire to communicate specific ideas. This means they have clear goals that can be stated precisely before they start creating. This is often accompanied by detailed plans and sketches and a systematic way of executing that plan. And because their goal is often a conceptual innovation instead of gradual experimental improvement, their creative breakthroughs tend to appear suddenly as a new creative idea that will have a vastly different effect in the way a composition will be created. And then finally, once you've identified what kind of artist you are, then you want to start to explore your creativity. And you can do this through the six-step process of creativity, which is exhibiting the open question, identifying the semiotic context, finding the question's critical sign or concept in that semiotic context, identifying the concept's walls, opening the walls and displaying its new perspective, and then evaluating the extended walls. Thanks again for listening to the Art of Composing podcast. If you like the show, leave me a review in iTunes. As usual, you can find the show notes at artofcomposing.com slash episode 7, all one word, just episode 7. Remember, we are just a few days away from launching the Academy, so be sure to check it out. If you want to be on the notification list, you can go to academy.artofcomposing.com and sign up there before Saturday. And if it's already launched, if you just go to academy.artofcomposing.com, you're going to be at the Academy, so you don't need to be on any kind of notification list. So until next time, go break down those creative walls.